goal for the Irish at the timeout. Williams, right to the right side. Powers to the end zone. Look, low snap, picked it up, takes an end zone shot, and finding McKinley goes up and gets it, and it is a touchdown. Welcome back to another episode of the Golden Homers podcast with your hosts, Mason Plummer and Nathan Erbach. What's going on, Irish fans? This is Nathan Erbach here. As always, joined with my uh, co-host, Mason Plummer. You're listening to the Golden Homers podcast. It is October 12th, a couple days after Notre Dame beat BYU in the Shamrock Series here in Vegas. Uh, Mason and I both were in attendance for that. Uh, obviously a fun time there. Had some had some laughs, had some, had some good moments uh, together as just, you know, as friends and co-hosts for the pod. And um, got to spend some time with some, you know, at least for me, spend some time with some family and some other friends as well that that, that made the trip. But um, p- apologies for not having a podcast last week. That's kind of the reason we weren't able to. Mason was traveling. I had friends and family in town. Um, obviously, a lot to do. So apologies for that. So we might break a little bit into, or we might get in a little bit to, you know, post North Carolina. I know we did that after you know, after the game, but just kind of seeing how that sort of translated into the BYU game. Um, and then obviously here moving forward into the rest of the season as we have Stanford this week and so on and so forth. So um, without further ado, um, Mason, what's going on, man? How, how are your travels back back from Vegas? Yeah, um, don't fly Frontier. Um, <laughs> that's my first thing. But yeah, it was an awesome time. I'd never been really to the, I don't even know if that's considered really the West Coast, but that's as far West as I've ever been. So oh, it's West Coast, baby. So cool to go out there and, uh, and visit you for sure. It's a lot different than, uh, than Indiana. So coming back here was a little bit depressing. I really liked it out there. I had a good time. Uh, thanks again to you for for hosting me, had an awesome time, uh, you know, showing me around everything. And then of course, Notre Dame win, I made it all the sweeter. So uh, Allegiant Stadium, super cool. Definitely recommend it. Maybe not for a Raiders game. I don't really care for the Raiders, but <laughs> ever out there again, you know, check it out. So um, Nerdin was kicking ass and then it got a little bit nervy, but the the stadium was electric. You know, I shout out to the BYU fans, really. I didn't have anybody that was super annoying. I mean, I was in the Notre Dame student section, I guess, because that's where my ticket was. But um, nobody was super annoying, but their fans are loud as hell and passionate and you know in, in kind of a cool way it became a, a good game so both crowds are really into it and their fans showed out so respect to them yeah no absolutely that I mean it felt like a 41 to like 17 game at times and then obviously like you said got a little close it was 25 to 20 I think BYU even had the ball when it was 25 to 20 at one point um and Notre Dame made a stop and then got the field goal and kind of went from there so um you look at the you know, just kind of the box score. And I think Notre Dame doubled the yardage, doubled the first downs. Um, so at, at least at certain times, I mean, it was 25 to six at one point, 18 to six at half. So overall, I mean, had that slight scare towards the end, but it did feel like Notre Dame was the better football team, the more talented football team throughout the entire game. Um, BYU was able to put some, put some things together. I think it was two straight drives where they scored and it made it interesting. And um, you know, obviously Notre Dame's deficiencies in the red zone, I think hurt them a little bit, but, but like you said, I mean, the BYU crowd was, was great early on, you know, obviously as well before the game got kind of out of hand at one point, um, but it was 
like you said, being there, it was kind of nice to see their fans still into it up until pretty much the last, you know, the final minute or whatever of the game. And, you know, if it ended up being a 41 to 10 game or 41 to 17, whatever it was going to end up being possibly, you know, that crowd would have sort of, you know, died down, you know, maybe in the late third, early fourth quarter, but they were, they were in it enough to, to kind of hang on there and, probably what 65 35 or 70 30 Notre Dame fans I mean like you I was around the majority Notre Dame fans I think there was maybe a few BYU fans in my section they sort of had that one end zone area down below sort of was was theirs but but yeah man they they showed they showed up and showed out um for for their team and it, it definitely made for a cool atmosphere yeah, I would say probably 70, 30. Uh, I was impressed with, you know, with them only having 30% how loud they were and some key downs and stuff like that. But yeah, the end zone opposite me, there was a good amount of Royal Blue there. So um, yeah, it, it was cool. I had, I had a great time. I had a headache during the game, I think, because we stopped drinking maybe. But <laughs> other than that, uh, no complaints. I never named up. And I like that even though we were in attendance, so it was easier for us to tell. I think on the TV, you could tell who was Notre Dame and who was BYU. I was a little nervous that it would look like a BYU crowd almost of sorts because of the blue and, you know, whatnot. But the the distinct blue that they wore and then a lot of Notre Dame fans wore green or like navy blue. And you, you could really tell or even white. Like, I think you were wearing white at one point and yeah. kind of switched to navy blue for the polo. But it, it was it was easy to tell. And, and it, I think on screen, it really showed that it was a, a better Notre Dame crowd. Um, in general, or, and, and I think that was kind of the ex- expectation going in. Yeah. And that was, that's always been a small complaint of mine because uh, people, com- you know, complain and sometimes justly about like when Georgia came to town that a lot of the stadium was red or whatever. I I mean, Notre Dame fans are sellouts at times and will sell their tickets. But part of the issue also is that Notre Dame has four colors that you can legitimately wear, whether it's blue, gold, white, or green. And that's hard to unite that way. I know they try to do green outs, but it's hard to really coordinate green isn't the most common color to wear in like clothing. So I think it's difficult, but you could tell, you know, if you weren't wearing that Royal blue that BYU wears, or I guess white that, um, that Notre Dame fans were showing out and very loud, that place was shaking. So pretty cool. Yeah. Not to mention red obviously sticks out on TV and yeah. you know, just kind of in, in that sense. But, uh, but I, I guess enough talk of that kind of stuff. Uh, we'll get into a little bit of the game. I thought, Overall, this was another just kind of bullet point on on Notre Dame's resume to kind of improving from the first two weeks of the season. I'll even say, out, even outside, just take away the OSU game. OSU is obviously a really good football team. They have a really good defense in their own right. Um, but the, the season really started with that, that loss against Marshall and how they just kind of came out flat, didn't play well against Marshall after losing to Ohio State. Um, but since then... Um, you know, obviously Drew Pine took over for Cal, had a rough start to that game, maybe rough quarter and a half, whatever it may be. But since the, you know, let's just say the second half of Cal into the North Carolina game and now BYU, Notre Dame looks like a much better football team, uh, a team that they, you know, a, a, a team that feels like they're going to win all of their games outside of maybe Clemson and, and, and USC. And we'll see how that kind of shakes out as the season goes on. But I'm feeling much better about this team possibly finishing nine and three, um, you know, and, you know, who knows, maybe even 10 and two, if, if things really start clicking for them um, specifically, maybe fix that defense a little bit, that kind of tends to give up a big play here and there. Um, Cause that's really been the, the biggest issue I think over the last two weeks is they've kept teams in the game because their defense couldn't make that stop. 
Um, and, you know, obviously give credit to North Carolina, give credit to BYU for having, you know, good enough offense to be able to score. And, you know, you don't want to put too much on the defense there, but if the defense just makes like one more stop each game, you know, they're th- those, those scores look a lot different. And so I think real, Notre Dame is on the upswing. Um, and I think if they beat Stanford and they beat Stanford, like how they should, you know, I think it's a 17 and a half point spread right now. If they beat them by, let's just say 21, um, you know, they'll be four and two with UNLV on the horizon. So that should be five and two. And then I think you have Syracuse right before, right before Clemson and, you know, four and two, five and two going into Syracuse, you're probably looking at a team that's ranked in the top 20. Yeah, I'd hope so. I think the sooner they're ranked, the better, um, at least for me, you know, I'm not used to Notre Dame not having a number next to their name. So that's kind of been, you know, a constant the last handful of years. BYU and North Carolina getting votes ahead of Notre Dame is crazy, but also, I guess, handle your business against Marshall and it's not an issue. So it is what it is. Everything will figure itself out. Rankings kind of matter right now, but they also don't. It's more of a respect thing. You want to see a number next to your name, uh, but also, yeah, I mean, don't lose to Marshall. So there's that. But um, yeah, I feel confident about this week and then in next week, really, Syracuse is the next kind of test for Notre Dame. I do think they'll handle that, not with ease necessarily. I think Syracuse is a good team, but not uh people seem to think that Notre Dame's going to struggle but Notre Dame was also supposed to struggle with BYU and you and I both said both one of the first things we said after the game was that Notre Dame could have won that by 20 or 30 you know if a couple things go differently so yeah I feel good about the next couple weeks and then you know Clemson's really not that far away so it's crazy how far the season's already gone and uh, how we're already looking forward and into the future with uh, with a positive outlook compared to a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I want to get into Drew Pine a little bit. That seems to be the hot topic this week, you know, since he took over, you know, I guess, like I said, outside of the the beginning of the Cal game, um, but from, you know, like the middle of the Cal game on, offenses look much better. Running game's been better. Offensive line's been better. Receivers are finally now starting to get involved. Jaden Thomas had a breakout game um, this past week. I know he only had three catches, but three catches for 74. So all of them were, I think all of them went for first downs. Obviously, one went for a touchdown, and um, you know the other two were were bigger plays. I mean, I think fifteen plus on each of them, um, or right around that. You know, Lorenzo Styles is continuing to kind of just become a more consistent player for them. Um, they definitely get him involved. I know fans are gonna want to see Tobias Merriweather and some others get involved as well. But you know, he's starting to see some snaps. I think he only, I think he only saw three against BYU, but it was a noticeable three. Like every time he was out there, I kind of, I, I noticed it specifically. And, you know, I think for being in the crowd, sometimes you don't really notice that kind of stuff, but I definitely noticed it. Um, Deion Colsey, I think had his most snaps of the year. Um, so he might be getting healthier. Um, and then obviously we had the first freshman catch for Holden stays. And I know Eli Raritan got a target as well. So um, starting to see some other players, you know, outside of the running game and Michael Mayer sort of make an impact for for the Notre Dame offense and I I think that starts with you know give Drew give Drew Pine credit where he deserves I mean he's been very good the past two weeks and you know if people want to say he's locking on to Michael Mayer then you know whatever that's that's fine with me if you're gonna if you're gonna lock on to a player I'm okay with you locking on to Michael Mayer I would too why wouldn't you I mean you've put it anywhere near him he's gonna catch it just don't throw it to the other team just give him half a chance to catch and he's going to Right, exactly. So, um, no, so all the credit in the world to him. I mean, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I was not expecting him to play this well. I, I, I've mentioned for several weeks now that I thought that the offense was going to get better by default. 
And I do think that that is, you know, part of the factor. I mean, I think if Tyler Buckner had a lot of time back there to, you know, to throw and, and run and do all that kind of stuff, you know, things would have gotten better for the offense as well. Um, but, but you can't, you, I, it's hard to discount what Drew Pine's doing. I think he's essentially, since he took over, he's over 70% as a passer. I think over the last two games, he's closer to 80%, like, like in that, like 77% um, range has, has two picks. One of them came against Marshall when he came, when he came in after, you know, Buckner got hurt and then he had the tipped, the tipped interception against BYU. But outside of that, you know, he's looks like he's seen the field pretty well for someone who is a little bit shorter and that might be tough to, to do at times. And, you know, I, like I said, he had the, he had the tip pick and he had a few tips against Cal, but that, that hasn't really been too much of an issue overall uh, as well for being kind of a shorter quarterback. So no, definitely kudos to and, and credit to Drew Pine for, for how well he's playing. And I think the team has kind of gotten a confidence boost because of it. Yeah. He's way more accurate than I thought he would be. I'm very, I don't know if notoriously is the right word, but I was very much out on Drew Pine and uh, I've been impressed. I, you know, I might have to eat my words a little bit uh, as far as, uh, you know, his performances. He's been a big reason why Notre Dame has been playing really well. He's played much better than I would say just about anybody anticipated other than the handful of Drew Pine stands on Twitter that thought he should have been starting over Buckner. I still don't think that was necessarily the case. I think it's a combination of him playing well, and also the offense starting to get it together. You know, I think that Buckner would also be succeeding right now. I guess that doesn't really matter. But Pine's looking like if, you know, if he continues to improve at the rate he is, that he could be really in contention and you have to lose the job next year, which is a crazy thing to say. Imagine saying that at the beginning of the year. So, you know, I'm, I'm still rooting for him heavily. Um, any Notre Dame quarterback, obviously, but – yeah, I've been super impressed with his accuracy, his ability to escape the pocket. That play to Estime was nuts. He's getting sacked, uh, underhand flip to Estime, and then Estime with the hurdle. That might have been my favorite play of the game, just him, just the confidence in himself to be able to get out of something and just make a play. It's kind of Ian Book-esque. I know that people haven't been liking that comparison too much um, recently, just Pine kind of stays in the pocket more than Book. And you could argue he's almost more accurate than Book from what we've seen. It's a smaller sample size, but he's looked really good. So um yeah a little bit of a ramble there but i you know I, I might need to apologize to a couple people that I told that uh drew pine was horrible because he's not <laughs> you know it's funny i was talking to our boy tom loy about the drew pine and book comparison a, f- a few days ago and i i think they're comparable in the sense that you know obviously similar body types i think ian books a little bigger um but you know i kind of have like that you know, that game, I know Marcus Freeman hates the term, you know, he mentioned it in his press conference or whatever, but that, that kind of that gamer mentality where, you know, you get on the field and they just kind of make these kind of cool plays, like you said, with the Audric Estime one and, you know, so on and so forth. They have a lot of confidence in their ability, but Ian, like you said, Ian Book would run a little bit more and I think he was a better athlete overall, but one of the big knocks on him was that he didn't always take the shots that he could have when guys were maybe barely open or he could throw a guy open. He, he didn't really like that or, or, or pull the trigger, I should say. And it sort of limited the offense at times. And I think he had the talent to where if he would have just had that mentality to just pull the trigger, you know, Notre Dame's offense could have reached a height that it didn't reach under him. Now, overall, I think that, you know, no, no fault to, to Ian Book. I mean, sometimes, you know, I think he reached his potential at Notre Dame. I mean, that's kind of a flaw of his that, you know, isn't something that's going to just go away. It's not really a teachable thing. 
So, but with Drew Pine, like you said, he doesn't run as much. He had the one scramble for a first down. That was, that was great. You know, he kind of picks and chooses the right times to do it. Um, I think against North Carolina, he had like a 10 or 15 yard run. That was a big third down run as well. So he's kind of had some really, you know, just timely runs and, and Ian book had obviously those timely runs as well, but he did it just more often. I think drew pine is a little bit more willing to just, to just rip it. And there might be a lack of arm strength. I mean, I think there certainly is a lack of arm strength um, there overall, but at least he's willing to rip it and let his players go up and make plays specifically. You know, you saw Michael Mayer, you know, make, make a few really good plays. Obviously uh, Jaden Thomas kind of bailed him out on a bad throw. It's one of his worst throws of the game. Um, but overall, Pine, I mean, he he has good placement. Um, and, and I think the difference between him and Ian Book is that he's willing to rip it where Ian Book kind of just was like, okay, I'll take off and run for seven yards. Yeah, and I always liked that about Book, but I just felt like he did it a little bit too much. He didn't stay in the pocket and allow his receivers to get open or allow them to you know, get down the field and Pine is willing to stand there and take a shot. And we even saw him throw guys open. Like a couple of times that he threw the ball to Mayer or the the one crosser to Lorenzo Styles comes to mind where he's throwing guys open, putting it in a spot where only his receiver can get it and putting it to where you know, they might have to stretch out a little bit, but putting it where only his guy can get it. And that's, that's a big time thing that you don't see necessarily that often in college, you know, they're putting it right on their guy, but they're not throwing a guy open. Like you see quarterbacks do in the NFL not saying Pine's an NFL guy, but that's just a trait I like to see in a good quarterback and good quarterback play. Yeah, no, he, he, like I said, it's hard to argue with how he's played. He's made, he's made plays. He's stuck in the pocket and he's taken some hits to, um, you know, kind of doing that as well. So, and I can, you know, I think that's going to continue to, you know, to be a, a, a thing for him. I mean, he, he has the confidence now he's proven it over, you know, obviously North Carolina and BYU aren't the best defenses is, you know, he's going to face, but Stanford is arguably just as bad as those defenses um, overall. So I think he's going to have another really good day. Like I said, UNLV, he shouldn't have any issues there. His first real test as a QB is probably going to come again, maybe a little bit against Syracuse, but mostly against Clemson. Um, and, we'll, and we'll kind of see how it goes. If Notre Dame's running game can can run on Clemson like it has the last few weeks against some of these other teams, then I, then I would expect Pine to have another pretty good day because I think the the one weakness that Clemson has is they're in their secondary, um, and their their defensive front is maybe the best in college football. So I'm excited to see how he continues to grow. But right now, I have a lot of confidence in in his ability to to kind of run this offense. But um, want to get into Stanford a little bit. I kind of just mentioned that Stanford had. I mean, I think they're you know, last or close to last in the, in the pack 12 and rushing on deep and rushing defense. Um, you know, they're not great. I mean, against the pass either. Um, but, but the big thing is, is if you don't stop the run, you're not going to beat Notre Dame. And I, I think that's going to be a big key here. And partly why I'm, you know, when we get to our predictions later, I'm going to have Notre Dame, I think covering the 17 and a half point spread and, and maybe fairly easily. Yeah. I mean, Notre Dame's going to run it on your throat till you stop. And we've seen that in, even more so, you know, they're trusting. I think at first it was getting Pine comfortable and like allowing the running game to set up the passing game. But now that he's kind of proven himself, I think that you're we're still going to run it and until you stop him and then run Drew Pine and play action and let him do his thing. I think he's comfortable there, and that's when Michael Mayer's at his best too. So, yeah, I think the last couple of weeks have opened up quite a few options for for Tommy Reese and company on offense. Yeah, I mean, just to kind of throw some stats out there. I mean, against BYU. The three-headed, you know, the three-headed monster of sorts at running back for Notre Dame. I know Chris Tyree didn't have his best game overall 
Um, but that's why it's nice to have other guys that can, that can kind of pick up the slack, but um, Audrick estimate had 14 carries. Logan Diggs had 17 carries and Chris Tyree had 11. I mean, that's, that's called keeping those guys happy. If all of them are going to get 10 plus carries a game, you know, that's always, that's always nice. You can kind of ride the hot hand at times. And I think that's why Tyree had a little bit less than the other two. Um, and Logan Diggs, you know, I think specifically had a pretty good day. Um, Estime had that one long run that really helped his yardage and his, per, you know, his per carry, um, you know, average, but, but Logan Diggs was kind of the guy, um, you know, outside of maybe Michael Mayer on offense, uh, at least from a skill position standpoint, uh, I'm against BYU. And I, I expect that to, to remain the case. All three of those guys are going to be heavily involved in Notre Dame's offense. And I think it's, that's partly why we don't have to, to, really nitpick the wide receivers not being amazing so far this year is because you have guys like Logan Diggs and Chris Tyree and, and Estime that can, you know, can, can play out of the backfield and, ca- and catch the ball and then do different things like that. And just, uh, you know, and, and really just solidify, you know, your offense in general. I mean, they ran the ball 45 times uh, against BYU. I mean, that's, that's a lot. And they still had the opportunity to throw the ball 28 times. So not only did they have a lot of, you know, a, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of plays, you know, in the seventies or whatever it was, but they, you know, you know, that it's going to be probably a, a decent split between run and pass and it's going to be efficient both ways. Yeah. I think that's what Tommy wants to do. And we've kind of seen him do that. I don't know if he wants to run the ball that much, but if you can't stop them, I mean, why, why not, why not keep it going? So yeah, I like the three headed monster approach. I do wish Tyree had a better game. I felt like he was kind of getting on a roll. I actually, I bet on his over on receiving yards and I think he ended up with negative two receiving yards or something. <laughs> he would have had it right there on that one screen that he dropped too. It would have been yeah, like a 50 so, yard run. Yeah, that was a heartbreaker. But I mean, I didn't throw much on it, but I just wanted something to bet on for the game. And then actually, all my best loss. I had a parlayed the Notre Dame money line and over 50 and a half points, and it hit 48 total points. So that sucked. Um, but yeah, over, I mean, it wins a win. And I, I like the offensive approach moving forward. Yeah, you know, and the funny thing is the theme here, and it kind of goes back to the Stan- the, the Stanford preview, you know, we're going into North Carolina, it was like, okay, can you stop Drake May and his wide receivers? Going into BYU, it was like, can you stop Jaron Hall and his wide receivers? And now going into Stanford, the only strength that Stanford has is Tanner McKee and, the wide, and you know, their wide receivers and their tight ends specifically, you know, are, are pretty talented, even though the team itself isn't very good. And I mean, I think this is kind of like a rundown version of BYU where, you know, BYU might, might, you know, you look at it from like a 24 seven rankings composite or something like that. Maybe Stanford has more talent, but BYU, I think is the more talented team right now um, overall and certainly, you know, better coached. So, uh, you know, I, I used to think that, you know, if you had a talented quarterback and wide receivers, that was kind of like Notre Dame's downfall to a, to an extent. Um, that that's kind of the way to beat them. But, you know, I think they've proven over the last couple of weeks that that's not going to necessarily be the case. And, you know, I think we're going to see that again against Stanford uh, this week. Yeah. You know, we kind of discussed that. I believe it was in the car that if, you know, if you handle Drake may, I'm not too worried about Tanner McKee. So um, yeah, I, I really like the way, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily like the the phrase like he's going to get his as far as, you know, Drake may still had a good day, but Notre Dame in a way held him in check and held, North Carolina in check so right. I, I'm not really super concerned about Stanford I think that Notre Dame is gonna be just fine yeah no absolutely um let's get into let's get into some over-unders and then we'll do some bold predictions 
Yeah, so um, the first one I have written down here is, well, I guess, I, I don't know if there's, I don't know if you want to ruin your score prediction here, but uh, hopefully I didn't hit it spot on. Over under 38 and a half total points for Notre Dame. I think they get in the 40s this week. So I'll, I'll just, I'll say over. I'm over as well. Um, so I guess that leaks the prediction a little bit. Um, defensive side of the ball, over or under four and a half sacks. I think the Notre Dame defensive line has a big advantage here. I think this is not necessarily a get-right game, but a lot of big plays, potentially a couple strip sacks. I, I have over, personally. I think they get to five or six. Four and a half, you said? Yep. Well, I know BY – or I think Stanford is going to be without two of their offensive linemen. Um, I think I read that. that yep. Y'all was talking about that. They had two sacks against BYU. And they had, let me, I'm just looking these up real quick while we're talking. They had three sacks against North Carolina. Um, I think both of those teams have better offensive lines than Stanford does yeah. right now. So, yeah, um, like you said, maybe not a get right game, but maybe just like it's the perfect opponent and the perfect time for the, the defensive line to kind of get their stuff together. Um, so, yeah, I'll say, you know what, I'll say over, but barely. I'll say they hit five. Exactly. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same spot as you. I'll take over as well. And then I've got for Michael Mayer, the the man of the week, over or under 109.5 yards. I think he hits over I'm, 100 again. I'm going to go under. Um, not because I think he has a bad day. Um, I think it's going to be one of those games where they get some other guys involved. Um, maybe you see, you know, Eli Raritan get his first catch or – you know, Holden stays, get a few more catches to, you know, to get the freshman Tobias Merriweather or Colsey um, some opportunity as well. Cause I think they're going to be up, you know, like in the third quarter, pretty fairly easily, maybe even yeah. see some Steve Angeli type of thing. So um, I'm going to say under, but it's not going to be like significantly under, he's going to get his in the first half, like usual, you know, he's, he's going to be a fo- obviously a focal point of the offense and um, you know, it's hard to say him going like seven for 80 and a touchdown is a bad game or anything like that. A hundred nine is a, a tough one for sure. So I'll say under. I'm again, thinking roughly the same as you. I was just thinking that I could see him, you know, the first couple of drives doing his thing, getting four or five catches in the first handful of drives, 70, 80 yards, getting his touchdown. And then I wouldn't be against it. If Notre Dame's winning comfortably, sit him in the second half. I don't need to, we know what he can do. Stanford is not the game you need Michael Mayer to ball in. Um, I mean, I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but get the other tight ends some work. See Kane Barong out there maybe. Um, Mitchell Evans still isn't back. I'd like to see him at some point. But, yeah, get stays in rarity. Get rare, get rarity in a touchdown. Get stays a touchdown. They've been playing well for freshmen. and They don't look like freshmen. God, we got to see him in person. Holy <laughs> hell. Those are some big dudes. Yeah. Bare minimum, they look like they're ready to play wide receiver in college. And I I don't mean that in a negative. Like when Stace caught that ball, I knew it was him, obviously, because I know his number. But I wasn't sitting there saying, oh, my God, this guy looks like a tight end. And I didn't mean it in a negative way. I was like, he looked fast. You know, he looked like a seasoned, you know, wide receiver out there or seasoned pass catcher. Um, You know, and we all know what he what he what his weight and stuff like that is. And, you know, from, you know, from what. The, the coaches have said and and what pictures we've seen and stuff like that. So um, yeah, no, I can see those guys having kind of a decent day out there, especially if it gets out of hand late. To be honest, it, because it was in my end zone, that Thomas catch, I was, I could see an eight and I thought it was stays and that I was almost more excited just because it's a freshman. That's I think it's more fun. 
Um, but I mean, I was pumped. It was Thomas either way. I was excited. It was going to be somebody's first touchdown. I saw an eight and I was excited, but yeah, it would have um, been kind of wild if stays is just out there. Awesome dudes. Yeah. Right away. And he was considered the, you know, the second tight end in the class, but you know, they look like one, a one B right now. Um, you want to go to score or bold predictions next? Let's do some bold predictions. You have, do you have one ready? Oh, I sure do. Hopefully Steven we're not going to, I have a feeling we're going to, we have a similar one. So go ahead. Steve Angeli, first TUD. It's happening this week. I don't know if it's going to be rushing or passing because I have a sneaky feeling he might run it in. But um, I'm a sucker for a freshman touchdown. I've been doing this for like a year and a half now. And um, th this is the week. Okay. I'll get mine out of the way that's similar. I was going to say I think we see our first freshman touchdown. And I, and I was going to mention that maybe it is a Steve Angeli type thing where he plays the whole fourth quarter and throws a I touchdown. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll count that as a fre the first freshman touchdown if he's throwing it to somebody. Um, I'm not going to say who it is. I, I think it's, you know, I, at this point, it's just like I'm not going to sit there and say Merriweather gets enough snaps to really, like, throw that in as a bold prediction. Um, I kind of want to see what the – you know, what he does on the field first, gets a target out there, kind of get, gets it out of the way. But I could see stays. I could see Raritan. I think they're kind of setting up a Raritan touchdown or a stays touchdown with the way some of the stuff they did in the red zone um, and so on and so forth. I mean, like with that Michael Mayer screen. Um, and then I think when they were backed up and they threw it to Raritan versus throwing it to Mayer when he was wide open, I think that was one of Pine's worst plays of the game. Um, so they're, they're definitely trying to get those two involved and they're running routes and they're doing different things. So um, I'd probably be more inclined to say it's going to be one of those two that gets it unless it's an Angeli touchdown, to, you know, in the fourth. Um, but it would still be, I, I think it's going to be the week that we see a, a freshman touchdown. I really hope so. And now that I'm thinking about it, it's going to be this week or next. Do we just rinse and repeat for next week? Um, I'd like to see it happen this week, but I'd imagine there's going to be a freshman touchdown scorer or two next week no disrespect to your boys but yeah do you have a uh, that's perfectly fine do you do you have another uh do you have another bold prediction because i have one more if you don't i don't um go ahead and i'll come up with one okay i think that we see notre dame's first double digit or not double digit but um multiple turnover game um i think it's going they were so close last week they had the first pick on the opening play of the game you know, which right then and there, you're like, okay, they're probably going to get another one because they were just so unlucky the first few weeks and not getting one and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, I think they almost had that fumble recovery when when BYU was driving for their first touchdown, which, by the way, that drive pissed me off so much as a fan because they should have had they should have had the uh, the fumble recovery. And then on top of that, on fourth down, BYU ended up in my opinion, false starting and, and on, honestly kind of like an illegal formation as well. Cause the guy was moving, you know, when the, when the play was going and he was moving forward. So um, that, that fourth down touchdown that they had was, was really upsetting to me. I mean, you have the line judge right there. It's, it's, to me, it's very easy to tell. And I think Notre Dame kind of got screwed on that, but it is what it is. Um, I think they get two this week against Stanford or, or a minimum of two. I um, mean, and if it, and if it's kind of a blowout, like I'm expecting sort of late, you know, maybe it gets more than that, you know, maybe McKee throws another interception or something like that and ends up being like a, a three turnover game uh, for, for Notre Dame. I couldn't come up with one in that time, but um, I was just thinking about that fourth down touchdown. That was a nasty route. Uh, that was, I like that play call. I haven't seen that before, but I was running it in Madden a little bit ago, that zig or whatever you line up that receiver running towards the line of scrimmage or towards where the ball is and then zigging back out. 
if you have a corner on an island like that, that's impossible. Yeah. Uh, that's a great play call. Um, the the offensive line, the whole left side started too early, but yeah. Well, and, but that that was kind of my thing. Was it was a I th- I agree with you. It's a great play call. I think you know it's a one that Notre Dame should have in their arsenal. To be honest with you as well, so I think it's perfect for some of the guys that they have. Um, it would be even more perfect if they had Avery Davis because I think he'd be able to run that all day. Yeah. But even the even the receiver that caught it, I think it was Epps. He he also false started. He started. He was lean. He was leaning forward and kind of had his feet off the ground, like right before he went. And that that's what bothered me. And I, but it, but it is what it is at this point. I mean, four, four was it three or four guys all false starting and not called? That's that's yeah uh, exactly. That's, that's that's more that's more impressive. <laughs> right right. Um, all right, let's get into some uh, score predictions. All right. Um, I've got 41-17. I think that's a little bit homer of me, but I do think that there's quite a few scores in this one. What is that? Five touchdowns and a, and two kicks. Um, I think Notre Dame's up like 28 or like 31 to about 10 at half or something like that. I really think that this game's done at halftime. And then after that, it slows down a little bit. You, that naturally happens when you're running with the twos. Um, I don't think Stanford's a good team. I think they only score, like what I say, 41-17, you know, maybe a late touchdown, but um, I, I don't think this is necessarily a close game, and it might be done early if McKee doesn't look right, if he gets in his own head early on, if he throws an early pick, something like that. If it can, it can get out of hand quickly, if Notre Dame's able to get a stop or, uh, you know, pick six the first drive, something crazy, I could really see this game getting kind of ugly. Stanford's fallen off a lot. I used to really look forward to this game. Well, maybe not. They Notre Dame used to always lose to Stanford, especially at Stanford. But um, glad we're past those days. It was a fun rivalry. David Shaw's on the hot seat. It's getting hotter after this week. Yep. Yeah. I'm gonna say 45-20. Um, I I, I wanted to kind of go. I think you know, it's funny. Like 41-17 has kind of been the number that I've been saying a lot of the time this week about how they should have beat BYU. And so it's funny you threw that out there, but. Um, I, I honestly, I don't know if Stanford's going to put up 20 points, but I just find it very, like you said, a little homerish to kind of say like 45 to 13, because that just seems like a complete blowout that is, is hard to predict. So I'll say 45, 20, maybe one of them's a Garby touchdown or something like that late in the game when it's already kind of put away. Um, so yeah, four, 45 to 20 for me. Um, and, uh, you know, and obviously a, a, a cruising victory for Notre Dame. I don't think it's going to be really close at any point. Nope, just hoping they go out and handle business, don't play to your competition, and that I want to see the young guys. You know, being recruiting guys, we're always rooting to see the see the young guys, see the next up-and-coming talent, and that's really what I'm excited about. The Golden Homers are brought to you by Generations Barbershop, a Notre Dame-themed barbershop that has been keeping Irish fans looking good since 1930, Brent and Gill are located on Lincoln Way East in Mishawaka, Indiana. Open 8 to 5 and by appointment, call or text Brent at 574-250-0622. That's 574-250-0622. Hey guys, Nathan here from the Golden Homers Podcast. When I'm cooking dinner or grilling on the weekends, I want to use what great chefs use in their steakhouses. Exceptional quality meats. Meet up Vegas is my hookup meetupvegas.com that's m-e-a-t meet meetupvegas.com their specialty meat packs come with veal cutlet pork chops and extra meaty pork baby back ribs or prime rib and you already know meetupvegas.com is known for its unreal steaks all the meat is individually vacuum sealed 
to maintain absolute freshness for 200 plus days in your freezer and it's cheaper than you think check it out now at meetupvegas.com and use code irish10 at checkout to receive ten dollars off your first order so let's do irish in the nfl um real quick here and i I know we obviously since we didn't have a podcast last week i'm not going to highlight what happened the week before but uh, i don't know if we got into this but i know nick martin is now on a roster um, which adds to the Notre Dame uh, list. Matthias Farley's been activated, and he's up with the Raiders now, um, which is which is awesome for him. Same with Alex Bars. They they both did not start the year um, with the Raiders, but now they're both on the active 53-man. Uh, Jalen Smith was signed by the Giants to their practice squad, and now he's up up there, and I think he got his first start for them this past week as well and, and played pretty well. He looked great. Yeah, it looked much better than I was kind of expecting. I think you know, I kind of honestly going into this going into this year, I kind of just thought his NFL career was over. So um for good for him to kind of get back into the league and you know have some success. So just want to throw out those guys. One more guy before we get into some actual stats. Ronnie Stanley is back. He started at left tackle for the uh uh for the Ravens this past week. Um he had been out for a while. Um, I think missed most of last season and then obviously missed the first, you know, three or four games or whatever it has been so far this year. And don't know exactly how well he played or how poorly he paid or whatever, but we all know that he's an all pro talent when he's healthy and, uh, good to see him back with, with the Ravens. But, uh, um, it's funny, we were watching these games together sort of on Sunday morning. So we, you kind of know what I'm going to get to, cause we kind of yeah. talk about it like, Oh, we're going to put it on the pod. And it was just kind of funny. It was cool uh-huh. that the guys do well while we were chilling watching the game, though. Right, Just right. Knuckle bumps in there, uh, big plays happening. That was cool. All right, so that's it for guys that are kind of, um, you know, like I said, the the Smiths and the, the – we're not going to really talk about them too much, but just kind of happy that they're back. Smith, you know, Nick Martin, Ronnie Stanley, those guys. I uh, want to get into some actual performances from this past week. Um you know, first and foremost, Alohi Gilman. We were kind of we were joking about this. We were watching some of these guys on on Sunday morning, and um, you know, we we're like, "Oh, let's put put this guy on the pod, put this guy on the pod," because they scored a touchdown or they made a big play. And you know, specifically for Gilman, he was a guy that only had like you know, like I said, like 20, 30, 40 percent of the snaps. You know, on a weekly basis. Honestly, sometimes maybe even not that. Um, but he got the start this week. I think someone was hurt. Um, and, and their secondary. So not only did he get the start, but he played hundred percent of the snaps uh, for the, for the Chargers. So for a big game for him, seven tackles, one interception, one pass defended. So um excited to see how, how he performed. I think it was his second interception of the year or, or, or sorry, second interception of the, of his career. So good to see that he played well in a spot start and, you know, maybe that gets him some more playing time down the road. Yeah, no doubt. And it was cool to see. I know we were both watching the Chargers game and, I saw somebody, I believe Gilman works 32. I saw the 30 come across the screen and, or at least a three. And I was like, oh, yeah, I called it. (laughs) Yeah, please be Gilman. And we weren't sure it was, and it was. So that was really cool. Yeah, no, it's unfortunate for our boy, Danny Cunningham, who's a, who's a uh, Browns fan. I think I texted him right when it happened. I was like, hey, any mixed feelings here? And he said, no, definitely not. But uh, it was, uh, I don't think it was a ceiling. yeah, I don't think it was a game ceiling interception, but it was definitely like a big play because it was like right right in the end zone or like right before it and um, ended up being obviously a huge play for the Chargers and their, what, two-point victory over the Browns. So so yeah. good for him in, in that regard. But uh, um, another guy that we kind of were both watching at the time when it happened is uh, Durham Smythe, um, yeah. a guy that, guy that not only pretty much starts every week for the um, – 
you know, for the Dolphins, but definitely gets a lot of snaps, more of a blocking tight end, you know, maybe catches one or two balls a game, nothing crazy. Um, sometimes obviously has zero targets. I think he only had one catch for eight yards um, in this game, but he got kind of like this cool goal line um, rushing attempt where it was essentially a QB sneak, but he kind of ran, you know, he kind of motioned right under center and then ran it in for a touchdown. Um, kind of created by, by McDaniel, you know, without his, you know, without Tua, uh, playing and I think that was after Bridgewater got hurt as well so they were kind of down to like their third string QB and you know you have to kind of generate ways to get offense or or put points uh, point, put points on the board in the red zone and um, Smythe had a, a one one, uh, one yard touchdown run for the uh, for, for the Miami Dolphins so so kind of cool for him I, I think that's only what his uh, without looking at it I mean, I'm sure he doesn't have too many touchdowns in his career so that was fun to see. He doesn't, but he has just as many as Mike Gesicki this year. So some are saying he's better than Mike Gesicki. I'm about it. <laughs> he's de- like I said, he's definitely like a valuable player for them. And he's on, he's on a second contract. He got a pretty good contract from them. Um, I think he was either last off season or the off season before. So um, they, they definitely value him. And I know specifically M- Mike McDaniel comes from the, you know, the Shanahan coaching tree, and they value blocking tight ends. George Kittle, for as good as he is, is known as a great blocker. Um, and, you know, that's one thing I think McDaniel's going to bring to uh, to Miami is uh, the value of the blocking tight end. And so Smythe probably has another, you know, five, six years in the NFL, bare minimum of, of solid play. So um, another guy I wanted to highlight was Julian Love. Seems like we're talking about him weekly at this point, but he had seven tackles again. He had a tackle for loss and a forced fumble. Um, and a big win in London against Green Bay, um, a game that they probably shouldn't have won, at least going into halftime. Um, I got up kind of early to watch that game while you were still sleeping. But uh, it was uh, – love was noticeable on the field, specifically in the second half, and I think that's a big thing. And like I said, had the one tackle for loss and a forced fumble, um, you know, and, and another you know, pretty good seven tackles. So, um, and, and then in the same game, and I probably should have mentioned this earlier, but Nick McLeod, who who did not see really any um, defensive snaps for the Giants um, until recently, I think it was, this might've been his first game actually getting it. He played 44% of the defensive snaps after Dory Jackson went down for them. Um, he had three tackles and a pass defended as well. And, you know, a guy that has kind of been a I think this is his first time really on a 53 man. He was kind of on some practice squads last year. might've been on the bills very, very briefly last year on their 53 man, but he was waived one of their last cuts um, of the off season um, before the season started and um, finally got on the field defensively. And like I said, had three tackles, one pass defended, didn't give, I don't think he gave up too many catches either. So uh, good game for him. And, you know, hopefully he can kind of continue to build off that moving forward. Yeah, no doubt. I uh, always like to see the most amount of Notre Dame guys in the league possible. When the year started, there was bad luck with a couple guys. Some guys still kind of in and out of teams. Khaled Kareem just got cut. I'm sure he's going to get picked up. He had a couple great games last year. Um, kind of struggled with injuries, but the talent's there. So excited to see who picks him up. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, he was on IR. He got pulled off IR, you know, after the four weeks, and they kind of immediately waived him. So I haven't really checked today, but I'm not sure if anybody put in a waiver claim. But like, like you said, I kind of expect him to find his way onto a roster. Uh, I think he's just too talented of a player not to be on like the back end of a 53-man um, bare minimum. And then um, I think Tony Jones Jr. was surprisingly kind of waived by the Saints. Uh, maybe not surprising. I mean, he was kind of a, a healthy scratch for a lot of this year. I think he had the one game where one of, one of the games that, that Camara was out, he ended up playing. But 
Um, he was immediately picked up. Go ahead. I, I have a note on Cali Kareem. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. He was immediately picked up, I think by the um, Seahawks. Um, yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Um, so, you know, they lose Rashad Penny uh, for the year and, um, you know, so now he might be the backup there along with DJ Dallas or whatever. And, you know, obviously they have Kenneth Walker who was a second round pick, but the cool note on him was that he had two other teams that put in waiver claims. So he was obviously a sought after guy. Um, I think I read that it was the, uh, I tweeted about it. I forget exactly. I think it was the Cardinals and the Broncos, if I'm not mistaken, both put in waiver claims, um, on, on TJ Jones or on uh, Tony Jones. I almost said TJ Jones, the wide receiver, but, but, but Tony Jones jr. Um, so a guy that I think is going to continue to kind of just hang around the, the NFL for a while with, with the, with the amount of, you know, roster spots that are needed for running backs these days. Yeah, for sure. And then my note on uh, Cali cream to search him on Twitter, just a minute ago, he cleared waivers and is headed back to their practice squad. A little bit surprising. Um, hopefully he gets a chance to, to play for the Bengals this year. Um, yeah. I'm really surprised there was, there wasn't a claim for him, but maybe the injuries are worse than we think potentially. Well, and then that might be a good thing for him if he already knows their system. Maybe he can get healthy after, you know, um, you know, instead of having to worry about getting back onto the field in that like 21 day window of practicing, you know, he can clear waivers, get get fully healthy, get on the practice squad a little bit, do some scout team work. And then, you know, maybe by week 10 or something like that, he's on their 53 man after some injuries or because you you just know how that's how the NFL works. There's going to be injuries. So, yeah, maybe that's um, what he heard now that I'm thinking about it. If you. He- you know, he's already got a place and since he knows that scheme, that system, um, yeah, he probably does want to be there. And I think that might be best for all parties. I'm sure they didn't really want to cut him. Just things happen in the NFL and tough decisions are made. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's enough of us today. <laughs> we, we sort of rambled on a little bit, but uh, not too long of a pod. Obviously great to see another win. Notre Dame's now three and two. Um, we mentioned that we probably think that they should be ranked, but it is what it is at this point. Like it's not, not a huge deal. I'm excited to see, you know, what happens over the next couple of weeks leading up to Clemson. You know, hopefully they're six and two going into that game. I think we both agree that they should be. Um, we're probably going to have a spaces for you. Uh, we were thinking about maybe doing it tomorrow, but I think it will probably end up having to be pushed till Friday, um, which is nice because it leads up right into the game. Um, so, so no worries there. Um, so definitely join us for a space on Friday. But as always, I'm Nathan Erbach. You can find me on Twitter at Nathan underscore Erbach. You can find Mason on Twitter at Mason Plumber underscore. Obviously, follow our Golden Homers podcast or follow our Golden Homers podcast. Definitely um, on Apple or or Spotify, wherever you listen and uh, follow our our Golden Homers Twitter, just at Golden Homers, uh, no podcast or anything like that in, in there. So just at Golden Homers, follow us there. We're trying to mostly do most of our stuff on there at this point. And uh, it helps when, you know, the more followers we get. So thanks guys. Uh, We'll see you on Friday for our spaces. Yeah. Thank you.